Well, hi, I'm Jordan. And I'm AJ. You're listening to We Built It That Way, a show about how we shape the places we live and how they shape us, our behaviors, our relationships, our opportunities, and our imagination. Hey, AJ. Hey, Jordan. I got a hot take for you. Okay, well, let's hear it. Crossing the street sucks. And I'm sorry to say it that way. I'm sorry for the language, but crossing the street stinks. It does. It does. You're taking your life in your hands, it feels like. I said it, and I actually feel a little bit better having said it. But that is the topic of today's discussion. Why it's so dangerous and so uncomfortable to cross the street, and what that does to us as a society. So let's answer the question. Why is crossing the street so dangerous? All right, let's jump into it. Okay, so we're going to talk about what makes crossing the street dangerous, why we have to do it anyway, who the street belongs to. But AJ, I want to ask you something. Okay. Do you know the difference between a street and a road? Aren't they just the same thing? I think a lot of people would say, what difference? Yeah. It's pavement. I do too. It's like you hear the joke, why did the chicken cross the road? Right. Right. We hear... Teach our kids to cross the street. Look both ways, ways Before you cross the street. And it kind of sounds like it's the same thing. It kind of does. What would you say is the difference between the two? Well, I would say that roads are all about moving cars and streets are about access to places. Yeah. It's interesting because like in the one sense, streets and roads have sort of merged and become maybe their purposes have become confused. But if you look historically, streets have been this kind of like multi-purpose area between the buildings that like people would gather and they would play and they would buy things. There weren't really a lot of rules there outside of just like watch out for each other. Mm -hmm. And with roads, it's definitely like you're getting from A to B. You are starting from one place, going to a destination, the sole purpose being movement. And I actually think it's really interesting to me that the the two concepts have become basically interchangeable. And I think that says something interesting about some of the developments that have happened over the time of the automobile, the last century. It's hard to fault somebody for thinking that they're the same when we attempt to really like accomplish the same thing regardless, which is, you know, the movement of vehicles as fast as possible. Right. And and the the reason I wanted to kind of talk about that here at the beginning is because I think it's even an interesting phrasing, right, to to cross the street. In a way, like that indicates sort of an assumption about who who the street belongs to. Yeah, like it's a place you're not supposed to be on fit. You're crossing the street it sort of like means like you don't belong there. You're right. I think the language is interesting. And that even goes to, you know, what we talk about in cities when we talk about streets and roads, right? They're mm-hmm. they're called rights of ways. Right. And what does that even mean? The the right of way. Who has the right to be in that space? I think you're correct in your statement. More and more, it, it's a domain for cars that have the right to be there. And we allow people to on an intermediate and small basis of a matter of seconds, allow them to have a right to cross that space, but not linger in it. It's not for their use. Mm -hmm. It's something that we've created to, I guess, temporarily inconvenience the car. We don't want to do that for very long because it's all about moving traffic as fast as possible. 
But here and there, we will allow people to have the uh, opportunity to to cross that street if they can't find any other way of getting where they're going. Yeah, it really hints at some underlying priorities and decisions that were made, you know, in the 1920s, cars were, you know, they had been around for a little bit of time, but they were really becoming popular and starting to predominate, especially among like wealthier Americans. And it was a time when like people and cars in cities, like this was a real conflict. And it was like the discussion of the day, like, what do we do about how these cars are invading the human space of the street? You know, there's a lot of literature if you want to go back and read about like the way that some of the decisions and we're going to maybe kind of get into that here in a few minutes. But the way that the decisions made back then to prioritize the car, sort of then pushing um, other activities to the side, it sort of changed the way we even talk about and think about the, the street space. Instead of a place between the buildings where stuff happens, it's like, well, that, now these are corridors for movement. They're not they're not really for gathering, they're for movement. Right. It's almost as though once we had a form of mechanized travel that moved faster, the inclination was just to get anything and everything out of its way so it could yeah. continue to move that quickly. Whether that was appropriate or not wasn't necessarily part of the discussion. Yeah. I mean, we as humans, um, especially in the last, I don't know, century, century and a half, have gotten really good about optimizing things and we certainly love to talk about optimizing but in this case it's just like movement and speed and like this understanding i think of mobility as like something you want to like diminish if at all possible the amount of time that you're in movement because movement is this thing we want to like we want it to just get over as soon as we can right get from a to b as quickly as possible rather than understanding like the space between a and b as having any other utility Right. It's all about convenience. And I find it interesting that when you hear people talk, specifically traffic engineers, about streets and roads, they talk about it as though we're talking about water. You know, water goes where it wants. And this whole notion of traffic is almost treated like it's water. It's something that is this big amorphous thing that we can't possibly control. We just need to stay out of its way and let it go where it will. Definitely. And there's a lot of language relating to the body in terms of flow as well. And like congested arteries, mm-hmm. you can't ever have congestion because like the most important thing is movement, the speed of that movement. Right. You know, some people refer to the boom of the thing called the strode, like the merging of a street and a road trying to be an economic center, but also a place for fast movement is, is right. like awful experiment. It's deadly. But yeah, it's like the terminology and the language we use impacts the actual functionality of the design and then ultimately like we're left you know limited thought processes and and imaginations of what's possible because of that i something else that i was thinking about aj was in a way i think that the the way we've sort of like made the the automobile king in our cities and our built environments in general is like it's the biggest thing around and so you kind of have to like defer and like give way to it and it seems kind of like appropriate to me that this would have taken place in the US, like chief of all places. Because we, I think that there's kind of this like might makes right ideology that a lot of people su- subscribe to. And I don't know, I don't know what you think of, but like it sort of seems like a microcosm of a bigger like thought process. It very much is. I, I think if you just observe pe- people's behavior behind the wheel, for example, when they come to a an intersection where there's pedestrians attempting to cross, it's, it's, very frequent, if we're honest with ourselves, this attitude of annoyance. 
How dare they slow us down? Why can't they wait until I've gotten through the intersection? Right. And on the other side, you see the way that it influences the behavior of pedestrians. You see people that clearly have the right of way at a signalized intersection, for example, that are on foot dashing across the intersection because they're terrified that a vehicle and especially larger vehicles are are going to decide that they don't want to wait. And therefore, they've got to scurry across. You you see this um, even when you go, you know, I went shopping the other day and and this really stood out to me. You have people that are crossing from a parking lot to a big box store and it's very clearly marked that pedestrians have the right of way. But they are dashing around like their life depends on crossing in less than five seconds because God forbid they they inconvenience the many vehicles that are trying to tear through the parking lot. Yeah, this is that like permission giving thing, right? Like, yes, there's very clearly one party doing the permission giving. Yes. And even if it's not like explicitly that way in the moment, that's like what the dynamic is set up to be. It is. It's, hey, I'm keeping them waiting and and they could go so much faster than me and they're so much bigger than me. And like even just me going in front of them, I am already kind of like in their debt because they could be flying down the road by now. Right. And like if that was me, like, oh my gosh, like – Wow, what a sacrifice they're making. Yes. And you also see this in bigger cities as a pedestrian. You know, you have people queuing up at intersections to cross the street. And you can tell from the behavior that people feel much safer on foot in those environments because there's a pack of pedestrians crossing the street together. And Mm -hmm. so there's a safety in that versus when you're on your own or or when there may be only a couple of people crossing with you, the speed at which you do it is, is much different. Yeah. I think it's interesting to just sit with the question, like, what if we reframed it and instead of thinking, wow, I was allowed to cross the street by this kindly driver, actually, we are allowing cars, which I love to to talk about as like, you're driving a weapon, you know, when you're in a car, we are allowing these weapons, like free access through our people places. Right. In a way, they're crossing our communities. It's like, have you ever seen the picture of the deer standing in the middle of the road in the forest? Yeah. And the question is like, what's going on with this deer crossing the road? You could also just say like, what's up with this road cutting through the forest? Exactly. I think that's a good way to sum it up. (laughs) To carry the forest analogy like one step further, forests for the past few centuries started to get seen through the lens of like forestry and how the individual trees could be cut down and used to be sold for timber. So instead of these like rich ecosystems that have so many benefits and like also provide a lot of value to humans beyond the ecosystem, like we see them in in this narrow way. It's like we've sort of done the same thing with the formerly complex space between the buildings that so much of life was carried out and have said like, you know what? cool but we could just make those corridors for fast movement yep and then like all the other complexity dies away yep agreed the joys of driving there's nothing like it the thrill of mashing the accelerator the exhilaration of barely making that left turn light on a yellow The power trip of tooting that horn with abandon. Here I come! In short, driving is what makes us feel alive. It, well, it drives people like us. 
And yet, these days, in many parts of the country, it's as if society is moving backwards. Cities are filling back up, and that puts more moving obstacles on the streets. Children chasing basketballs, dogs, the elderly, cyclists. You've likely had the feeling of really cruising, feeling that breeze in your hair only to be interrupted by a pang of terror. There are kids in the street, and so you slow down just to avoid the headache. That's where Elon Motors comes in. At Elon, we believe settling for the status quo is out of the question. And that's why all of our cars come complete with self-driving mode. When there's danger ahead, we step in. No more slowing down on residential streets just because of the presence of a few humans. Hand over the controls to us, and our robot does the dirty work you're likely too human to do yourself. Just think, the thrill of hauling ass down Dogwood Lane. Repercussions be damned. Because it's plausibly not your fault if anything happens. At Elon Motors, we have a proven history of not being held accountable for the dangers presented by our products, which is too big and important. So let us take the risks while you reap the rewards. Elon Motors, outsource the accountability, not the fun. So Jordan, I I feel like where we have to go next in the conversation is to talk about some of the tools that we've used to kind of channel people into a, a place that separates them from streets. Yep. So I think of things like jaywalking and crosswalks maybe as yeah. a starting point for that yeah or zebra crossings or zebra or crossings ze- zebra crossings <laughs> which okay, well, is regardless of how you pronounce it objectively a cooler way of calling them <laughs> for a cooler way of calling a very uncool thing let's just say that right <laughs> have you ever stopped to think about why we have crosswalks and the funk like what they're really doing. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, it's it's kind of like this complicated word problem that I remember in junior high math, right? Where we say, okay, the length and the width of the street, there, there are these dimensions and that leaves <laughs> this many square feet for the automobile. Now let's take like one one thousandth of that and paint it yellow and give that to people. <laughs> yep. It's kind of how it seems. Pretty much. Yeah. Right. So it's like, okay, we've got a problem on our hands. This place that used to be for people, that's not cutting it. It needs to be for cars now. But sometimes people are just still going to people and they're going to have to get from one side to the other. And like, you're just going to have to, we can't have tunnels everywhere. So you're going to have to have places for them to cross. Yeah. What you can't have is chaos. Right. So let's herd them across like livestock at this (laughs) predetermined location. Uh And as long as they behave themselves, then people shouldn't die. Right. And also that will have to do with where intersections are rather than like having too much to do with like destinations and the travel between them. Right. I'm sorry. Did you just insinuate that it would be appropriate for a human being to cross the street at some place other than an intersection? Yeah. We may get sanctioned if too many people hear you say that. Well, the thing is we invented a whole crime that is crossing not on a crosswalk. And I don't know that that many people have really internalized how crazy it is 
that we have criminalized crossing the street in the wrong spots because this is basically like you've inconvenienced the person driving the car and you're going to pay. I actually think that it would be worth talking about where jaywalking came from because this was an invention in the 1920s, a very powerful and very strategic invention. All right, so AJ, I think this is the I think this is the time, the time I've been waiting for. I'm sure the oh, time yes. that you've been holding your breath for. I have uh, so my first opportunity to introduce a little history corner. And I want to do a little reading. And periodically on the show, we might do readings if if the moment is right, if the mood is right, if the lighting is just so. And this comes from a fantastic paper by Greg Schill called Should Law Subsidize Driving? And I want to read this section where he he's actually talking about a few different words that came out of this period in the early 1900s and was sort of like propaganda used by the auto industry. So here we go. As personal automobile ownership rates rose among the wealthy, a basic tension developed between those who used the streets for its traditional variety of purposes and the desire of motorists to reduce that space to its function and allow themselves to travel quickly through the urban core. It was a pitched battle. Dangerous drivers were denounced in the early 1900s as joyriders and speed maniacs and condemned for motor killings in the most prominent and influential places. But driving outlasted these terms. Meanwhile, motorists replied with epithets of their own, most notably jaywalker. The etymology of jaywalker reflects an agricultural heritage that has been lost in its modern meaning. A jay was a hayseed out of place in the city. Then coupled with walker, a jaywalker was someone who did not know how to walk in a city. The closest epithetic analogy today might be hick or redneck, with all the elitism and classism embedded in those terms. While jaywalking originally referred to pedestrians who obstructed the path of other pedestrians, in the popular parlance, jaywalkers soon came to mean pedestrians oblivious to the danger of city motor traffic. The evolution of jaywalking developed in part organically, but was drawn from the streets into the political sphere by organized interests. The auto industry seized upon jaywalking as a tenet for a, quote, propaganda campaign used to, quote, stigmatize walkers. This campaign persuaded governments to supplement the auto industry propaganda with state coercion. And now, jaywalking is almost universally prohibited in the United States. The effects have been clear. The invention of jaywalking not only eroded the traditional right of the public to public spaces, but could be selectively enforced against unpopular minorities. Motordom prevailed, and the broad prohibition of jaywalking remains operative virtually everywhere in the United States and carries penalties ranging from fines to arrest and incarceration. That is just a little section from Greg Schill's paper. I could have gone on because it's so well-written. It's really well-written, yeah. It's so fascinating, and I just... It's just when you think about it and you frame it in those terms, like the mm-hmm. crime is crossing a street in the wrong place, even if that actually happens to be a safer place and a more convenient place. And it's not just that, Jordan. I think it also created this kind of movement of shaming people that walked, that chose to get around on foot. You know, there's a number of posters you can find if you look online that were put out in newspapers in that same time period um, that really shamed people that either chose or 
had to rely on that method of getting from one place to another. And, you know, when you think about that was over a hundred years ago and that stigma has very much stayed a part of our society. This will be something we'll probably explore more in another episode, but Mm -hmm. we even today stigmatize people that walk. We think they're absolutely crazy. Why would anyone choose to walk to get around their community? And so it was a very effective campaign. And I think some of the efforts to drive public opinion today could probably take a big lesson from something that happened long before the internet and social media. It was a very effective campaign. And when we talk about crosswalks, one of the things that you hear about if you know or have worked in communities, people are constantly having these debates about how to make crosswalks safe. Mm -hmm. And it's not really about how to make the streets safe. That is something that is absolutely not part of the conversation in most cities. It's about how to make those tiny strips of painted pavement safe for pedestrians without any question as to Mm. whether or not the arrangement we've conceived is actually what's unsafe. Totally. We we have the opportunity, I think, to ask a bigger question. And I think that's what you're saying. Than how do we narrowly, like within these few feet, make it safer? Like, I think we can make it a question about values and about priorities. Like, I think we can ask the bigger question about what is the impact on society as a whole, like a community as a whole of relegating humans to these like marginal spaces and of making street crossing so unsafe and so dangerous. You said that we have stigmatized walking and I couldn't help but think our infrastructure stigmatizes walking too. It's Mm -hmm. not just like our language. And one of the purposes of this show and like the framing that we're using surrounding is the ways that like we shape the places we live and the way that those, the places we live come to shape us. And I think this is one of those places where you see the kind of like cycle reinforcing itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when we, we think about crossing the street, let's be honest that the gist of most of those conversations is the gist of so many other types of conversations we have in our cities, and that is it's all about order. Order! Order! Maintaining this order. Mm. And, you know, when we think back to the original, you know, streets within our communities where you had wagons and horses and people and later bicycles and streetcars, and I mean, so many things going on within that same space. Mm-hmm. And naturally, the, the first reaction to that is generally, well, cars, cars are much faster than any of those things. And, and that's true. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think we sometimes forget that we mm-hmm. are in control of these vehicles. They are yeah. not in control of us. And, and somehow we've allowed them to become that way. Yeah. There's a way of looking at it and seeing like the car is the ultimate right choice by saying like, well, obviously you don't want to take forever to get somewhere and getting from A to B is uncomfortable that it takes so long. And so you'd want it to take less time because so well, if you could optimize for making that faster. And I think that belies like a lot of other assumptions that that's rooted in like that there could be value in the the journey from one mm-hmm. place to another that maybe the overall impact on society where you can go faster might have more costs than benefits yeah. there's a lot of assumptions there there are and i think the outcome is that you know 
when when the automobile first became popular, a lot of the advertising and writing talked about it being a tool of freedom. And I think yeah. if we think about where we are today, what we've basically determined as a society is that being behind the wheel is freedom. And anything other than that is somehow shameful or it's something we don't understand. And yeah. because we don't understand it, it's up to those people to find their own way. But let's make sure the car always has a way. And thank you, Marcy, for that lovely traffic and weather update. Another gorgeous day here in Timber Creek Falls. If you're just joining us, you are listening to Timber Creek Falls Public Access Radio. I have a co-host here, Bunny. Hi. It's 4.30 on a Friday afternoon. You know what that means? It's public service announcement time. Yes, it is. And today, oh, I'm so excited about this one. So we're going to talk today about what would happen if we made it comfortable enough for people to cross the street anytime they wanted. Now, I don't know if you've been watching the news at all, but lately there are people throwing around words like walkable and pedestrian friendly. And I think it's a slippery slope. We need to be aware of what this means for all of us. Now, Bunny, if I may, when you say pedestrian friendly, I wave. Now, I wave hello as I cruise through the intersection. When I encounter a pedestrian, I feel sorry for him, but I, and I do wave and I wish him well. Well, of course you feel sorry for him because who in the world would be out walking somewhere? Now, this is unsettling. I will admit. Now, when you say pedestrian friendly, you're, you're talking about a whole different animal. Oh, I am. I am. They're talking about changing the way that we build our streets and our buildings so that it just makes it feel great for anybody and everybody to go traipsing down the street and walking to do their daily errands instead of getting in their car like they're supposed to. You wouldn't catch me dead without uh, my trusty pickup. That's just freedom. Takes me places I want to go. Now, you're talking about the idea of uh, turning over the streets to to the pedestrians, to the folks on foot. Yes, I'm talking about taking that 0.05% of space that's devoted to people and expanding it to more than that. I mean, isn't that enough? What do they want from us? Now, what it sounds like to me is, I'm going to just say it sounds wonderful. It sounds magnificent until you apply the, the principles. And then you got chaos. And that's what I'm hearing. You know, to me, uh, as a layman, when I, when I think of a person crossing the street where they want to, and the government says that's okay, well, that's a slippery slope till the children are running the show. You're absolutely right. And that's why I have put together a list of reasons, the horrible effects that could happen if we decided to support this kind of reform. Okay. Now, let's, let's, hear, let's hear what you've got. Well, for one, I'm just going to say it. People will be out walking all the time. Hmm. Who wants to live in a community like that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't get to my nail appointment in 10 minutes like I was before. It makes it harder for me to text on my phone while I'm driving. That is a challenge. And God forbid. So with each one of these discussions, we want to be talking about some of the decisions that led to 
what our built environment is like. We built it that way is the name of the show. But then we also want to be saying at the same time, like, what impact does that have on us, our behavior and our the relationships that we have and our psyche, our health? So let's talk about that. What does this kind of rigid separation of uses and of users and, you know, the regulation of the space between the buildings for movement, like what does that do to us? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the obvious thing that we've already alluded to is it discourages people from using anything other than the vehicle to get anywhere. Yeah. It's seen as cumbersome and dangerous and uncomfortable. And so it it really discourages us from doing that, which obviously has pretty far reaching implications on you know, our public health, the way that we interact with our communities, the way that we are or are not integrated into our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's the big easy one. Yeah, that's the macro level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about like, just from the, the micro level, and the way that we like signalize all of the interactions and conflict points and movements, and how different our interaction, whether we're driving or walking or whatever, is like in an intersection that has stop signs and stop lights versus someplace where none of that is present. Mm-hmm. There's a way a signalized intersection can let you sort of like outsource your spatial awareness to if you're in a car or even if you're on foot. Maybe it allows you to ignore some of the stimuli that are out there yep. and like feel safer while simultaneously creating like a more dangerous cocktail of like conflict points. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. People tend to kind of go on autopilot yeah. um, because they're just so reliant on that signalized intersection. And, you know, God forbid we pay attention to the human beings around us. Yeah. It's interesting though, isn't it? How we rely on signalized intersections and we point to those as examples of, hey, pat ourselves on the back. We've made room for people on <laughs> foot. Mm-hmm. But those same people behind the wheel, I know I've seen many of them at four-way stop sign intersections that can't for the life of themselves figure out whose turn it is. Yeah. But yet the signalized intersection is supposed to be the end-all be-all of safety, comfort, and protection um, uh-huh. for those pedestrians. So I, I think um, as you were alluding to, I mean, it says a lot about our priorities. And honestly, I think most most of us probably never stop to question why it's that way. It's that whole discussion about order and order is the most important thing to reinforce and like speed of movement and they reinforce each other. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, how many stories do you read about people who died crossing the street, even at crosswalks? Right. And we could talk a lot, a lot about like the things that are wrong with crosswalks and what's good crosswalk design practice and like raising the intersection and things like that. And I think that's interesting. But I think the the more interesting discussion is like the context it all fits into. I agree. If you want to zoom out a little bit more to that context, like streets have become barriers. Right. They're just as much of a barrier in many ways as like a river or a railroad. Right. And I, I think it's easy to not see them like that if you're in a car or you're just designing for the car. You know, I what I think would be interesting would be if everyone was required for, let's say, a week to get everywhere on foot and have the experience of a pedestrian. I wonder if people might start to look at that a little differently. It's very easy to um, be judgmental about an experience that we've not had ourselves. 
Uh-huh. And I think depending on the environment that you're in, there, there's going to be many people that you come across in your your day to day life that um, have not relied on on walking as a form of transportation in their life. Mm-hmm. Or if so, it, it's been decades since they've done that. And so I, I wonder how that might transform the way that we look at pedestrians as simply an inconvenience yeah. um, in the built environment, because that truly is how, how they're looked at most of the time. Yeah. And then I think, you know, what would things look like if we started redesigning streets in a way that put people first, people on foot first over the car, how would that transform the way our neighborhoods function? How would that transform the way people are or are not entrenched in their community and active parts of it? Mm-hmm. How would that change the way our elected officials made decisions? How would that re- potentially revitalize areas um, that we we drive through and we don't stop? How would that make the heartbeat of a neighborhood perhaps last longer? I, I think there's a lot of conversations like this that we could have. And, and I do wonder, you know, what, what would a street that's designed around people and activity like it once was, you know, kind of a civic space, mm-hmm. what would that look like now? Is there a place for that in our cities today? Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? This goes back to like the ownership, right, of that space, the space between the buildings and like if the paved like space between buildings is all for cars. The logic of that gets you to widen those spaces and then to make them car only areas. And you just are more and more putting things further and further apart. And so not only are you establishing these barriers between neighborhoods, right? You are functionally making it everything more kind of like atomized and isolated. Mm -hmm. And so I know this is a becoming a bigger discussion about what cars do to cities. But I do think that that these kind of decisions underlie our understanding of like, well, why is it so damn hard to make it safe to cross the street? Right. Well, you have to unwind it a little bit more to kind Mm -hmm. of like get to ask that kind of question. Yeah. And like the kinds of societies we'd be living in, the kind of communities we'd be living in is actually the kind that you may see at certain parts in the world, even like certain parts of this country. Right. Especially post-COVID as we're having these discussions about reclaiming mm-hmm. the right-of-way. That's actually a really great point about like COVID allowing some people to reimagine in the sense of almost like kind of reclaiming this memory and this knowledge of what this street space could be. Right. We were talking about this earlier. I didn't realize this but playgrounds were an invention that came out of the birth of the automobile industry because so many kids were getting killed playing in the streets, which is just what people played. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that you might see differently is like street life and interactions with neighbors. And And I think you'd see childhood be a little different too. You know, we, we always are guilty of, of people saying, well, you know, when I was a kid, Mm-hmm. I was outside all the time. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, these kids these days, well, what have what have we created for them? We've created yeah. places that are hostile to them unless they stay within a fenced backyard. Yeah. How would that be different for children if streets were once again spaces where they could play and interact with mm-hmm. one another? And having just a basic awareness around you was enough to keep you safe um, yeah. because people behind the wheel expected that activity. And yeah. they adapted to it. So it's yeah. been done once. It could be done again. 
also that would change lives for parents too. Like it's reasonable to be afraid of your kid going outdoors when so much of the outdoors is so, like you said, hostile. It's like, it's no parent's fault, but also these go back to decisions made by previous generations that once we understand that a lot of those early decisions underlie even just the language that we use, then we can also see how it underlies the built environment that we lead our lives in. And I think that should be empowering because that means you have an opportunity to, to change it. Like when when I think about the title of this show, we built it that way. In a way, it's like a hopeful title, even though there's some like frustration implicit because like we can also build it different. That's right. It's within our control. Yeah. Yeah. We can change the language we use and we can change the built environment. make eye contact with someone on foot that's just weird human beings are not meant to make eye contact we are not and let's be honest it is highly disrespectful to our most respected city residents which is our cars they are the workhorses of this community they carry us to and from our daily jobs to and from school to and from church who are we to infringe on their rights to own that real estate that was built for them not us absolutely right we give them important real estate downtown it didn't always used to be that way until we progressed and let's just add in the fact that if, if I hit a red light, I can't just stop in the middle of the crosswalk anymore because suddenly somebody's going to be screaming about that. That's right. I mean, if people want to walk, go to a park. Go to a park. Go or to a nature trail. Go to a cemetery. I mean, you're not going to bother anybody there, mm-hmm. but you're going to be bothering a whole lot of us if you're out there going up and down the streets causing traffic jams. And that's what this comes down to. It's basic decency, respect and decency. And think about people that will be out on the street if this happens yes now this is this is a safety issue all the riffraff coming out of no old people they're supposed to be shut up in their homes and all of a sudden they'll think they can drag that walker out and be out like the rest of us preteens oh my gosh the scourge of society why don't we just start selling drugs in the middle of downtown because that's what's gonna happen slippery slope (sighs) oh I'm sorry. I I just get so upset when I talk about this. You're talking about safety. I am. And you know what? If if walking somewhere was a good idea, why isn't everybody already doing that? Why isn't it easier? Exactly. I mean, there's a reason this is difficult. And it should remain that way. And I'm just going to stop right there. This is a public service announcement, and I think this serves us all. Thank you all. So much for tuning in. Thank you, Bunny, for preparing this very important announcement. Y'all stay safe out there. There are people walking across the street. They are out there. Stay safe. Use your horns. So that brings us to the end of this, the first episode of We Built It That Way. So we've discussed how we wanted to end each of these episodes, and we've come to the idea of perhaps leaving you with some homework to help you to continue the thought process and discussion 
you know, with your own friends and family about the things that we talk about. So two parts. Um, the first thing is just to think about your interest level in this, this subject. And if it's something that you find fascinating and you'd like to delve into a little more, we've put together um, a list of select readings in the show notes that you can take a look at and read through those and use those to perhaps prompt questions that you continue to think about. The second thing that we'd like to challenge you to do is the next time you find yourself in your vehicle and you're making a a trip that you normally go about, be very self-aware and and observe what your thoughts and attitude are when you encounter pedestrians in your drive, Um, whether that may be at intersections where they're crossing or just observing them as you're driving along your route. Sometimes we don't realize how much the psychology of the way the built environment shapes us actually shapes the way that we think about other people and topics. So if you want to share your thoughts on either additional questions or um, insights that you found, then you can definitely contact us through our social media platforms that will also <laughs> to be, be established in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. And you know, if you're not a person who drives uh, good on you, you can still think about these things from the perspective of a bike rider or a, that stupid word that we've created called pedestrian, which in itself is a reflection of priorities and like who's important and what a dumb word. I hate that word so much. Yeah. <laughs> AJ and I have talked about that word before in another episode of another podcast okay everybody thanks for listening to the first episode of we built it that way we hope you will join us for the next episode see you later 